Hey all you California and Kentucky commons, welcome to another episode of Boys Are From Martin, a women in beer podcast. On this episode, I am joined with Danielle De Alessandro of the Illinois Craft Brewers Guild or the ICBG, which we refer to a lot. Before we get to that, um, I'm switching things up in the intro and I'm telling you one beer that I drank this week that I really enjoyed and another thing that I saw in the beer industry this week that I thought was really cool. Um, so this week I drank Against the Grains in a beer called Louisville Hazy Pale. Um, and it's uh, it literally, it's a hazy pale that they describe as hazy and bursting with tropical aroma. Um, it's a pale in the sense that it's five and a half ABV. So it's very drinkable, but also has that haziness that, you know, everyone loves right now. Um, and the really cool thing about this beer is in the name, it's Louisville. And they spell it how we pronounce it here in Louisville. So it's not Louisville. It's not... Louisville, it's Louisville, so they kind of pay, uh, you know, they give in the world or where they distribute their beer a little education how we pronounce properly pronounce the city of Louisville. And then something cool I saw in the beer industry this week was Queen City Brewers Festival is a festival that uh, Charlotte and North Carolina breweries uh, do every year, but of course with COVID. It uh, didn't happen, so they transitioned to, instead of a festival, they did a collective beer collaboration release. So all the breweries participating are brewing a double IPA called Court Shoes Only, and a portion of each sale of the Court Shoes Only beer will benefit Acing Autism, which is a nonprofit whose mission is to serve children with autism spectrum disorder through a unique tennis program. Um, so yeah, it's just something really cool, you know, and you can't do these festivals, so like a lot of breweries and festivals and events are, you know, thinking of different ways to also, you know, for craft beers to enjoy, but also benefiting something other than themselves, you know, and I thought this was just really cool. And, um, so you can go on porchdrinking.com and read more about, uh, the collaboration and what breweries are, particip- are participating. If you're listening in North Carolina, how you can go enjoy court shoes only double IPA. And now to the interview, everyone. Enjoy. Hello, everybody. I am joined with Danielle of the Illinois Craft Brewers Guild. Danielle, how are you doing on this Wednesday? It is Wednesday. It is Wednesday. I'm I'm doing good, Kenzie. Thank you for having me on. You are very welcome. So let's we'll start right in. So tell everyone what your role is at the Illinois Craft Brewers Guild. I am the executive director of the, we'll go ICBG for short, um, or just guilds going forward. Um, And we're the nonprofit trade association that represents Illinois' diverse craft beer industry. Um, We focus on three main areas, um, advocacy, promotion, and education. And so I manage the day-to-day operations of the organization uh, while also ensuring that we continue to be proactive on behalf of our craft brewers in the state. Yeah, it's funny you say ICBG here in Kentucky. Ours is the K, uh, the KGB. So everyone thinks they're some Russian spy organization. <laughs> That's great. I, I will say the the question I probably get asked the most though is, um, what what is a guild? Yeah. So you know that definitely an, an old English term um, that really just means trade association. And then, so how many members are currently or breweries? I guess are in the ICBG. How many do we you manage or oversee? Yeah, we have over 200 brewery members um, that are comprised of uh, regular brewery members, those that have a brick and mortar um, facility. We have contract brewers, um, a couple um, alternative proprietorship um, brewers. Um, And then we have a handful of brewers that are in planning. 
And then we have our large brewers, so our Lagunitas and Goose Island that are technically not craft, um, but are still physically located in Illinois and are still brewing. And so they're um, our large brewery members that don't have a vote on our board, um, but are still a part of our events and, and education and advocacy efforts. Yeah, when I think when I talked to uh, Mary from the Ohio Craft Brewers Guild, she said they have over 200. And at Kentucky, I think we just hit 90 licenses. So to wow. hear, you know, 200 is amazing. And, you know, I look forward to that point when we get that way here in Kentucky. Um, it happen. <laughs> it, yeah, it's slowly but surely happening. So so um, while doing the doing it, my research on you, I noticed that this is kind of your your first beer or your first job in beer in a, in a way you've done, I saw some, some government works and nonprofit stuff. So how did you, how did you land at the ICBG? Yeah, you're absolutely right. Uh, my background is in government affairs and advocacy. Um, I was a contract lobbyist for over seven years and represented the ICBG the first time that they became engaged down in our state capital, down in Springfield, Illinois, um, to fight for the right to self-distribution. There was a court case um, that was pending on an ownership stake that Anheuser-Busch had in a distributorship here. Um, and the court ruled that, you know, in fact, three-tier system, um, manufacturers cannot own uh, distributors. And so um, they initially put a stay on the order though, because that would have impacted two small brewers that were self-distributing at the time. So we passed a law that ensured that craft brewers or brewers manufacturing up to a certain amount of beer could in fact continue to self-distribute um, a portion of that beer to retailers. So, so lobbied on that bill and, and then worked on subsequent other bills um, over the uh, you know, preceding years. And then when the board was looking for a new executive director, they reached out and, and asked if I would be interested. Um, they really wanted to start moving in a direction that was focused heavily on advocacy um, and lobbying efforts. Um, and so I was fortunate enough to, to, to come on board and have been I'm in this role now with the guilds for over four years. Um, and have had a few legislative successes and, and a few um, uh, few issues that we've tried to press that uh, that haven't passed. So um, either way, though, it's it's been incredibly rewarding to have a better understanding um, of the craft brewing industry. Um, I though could certainly tell you what my first you know craft beer was um, and how you know the love for for that just grew from there. But I certainly you know don't have uh, a background in the technical aspects of brewing. So I do find that. Um, uh, interesting and yet um, uh, confusing, um, but uh, at, at least from an advocacy point, um, I do know Illinois Liquor Control Act pretty well, um, and, and so try to be as effective as possible on those efforts. But that's what they need you to know. They don't need you to know how to, um, the temperature of your fermentation of a lager. They need you to know how to get, you know, certain bills passed and uh, talk to all those lobbyists. So yeah, that was, you know, that was kind of my question. You kind of answered it, but clearly, you know, you didn't just take this job because you didn't like beer. You probably liked beer before. Um, what got you into, I know you, you just said you didn't remember your first craft beer, but did, I think you, you probably grew up, I think you grew up near Chicago. So clearly you you know, Chicago has tons of breweries. Did you like to visit breweries? And um, were you familiar with people who worked at breweries as so well? No, so I, I'm saying, um, uh, actually, I do remember my first craft 
Yeah. Oh, you um, do. I, I put okay. it in quotes because um, while it was craft at the time, um, you know, my first craft beer uh, was uh, 312 um, from Goose Island. Um, and classic. then uh, fell in love with Honker's Ale. Um, but then like my, my true probably first um, craft beer was either, you know, Victory, um, one of their beers, um, or Revolution Brewing. Um, we had a meeting there when we first started working on behalf of the, the guild, um, and we were hosting a legislator. Um, and I remember, you know, having some snacks, but but having a beer, and it was so crisp and 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 flavorful and good, and, and just thinking like, wow, this is going to be probably the most fun client, you know, to work for um, in lobbying down down in Springfield. Um, and and so truly, you know, starting to work with craft brewers was um, the, my, my foray into the industry and merely my foray because that was, you know, back in 2010. Um, so there still weren't this proliferation of brewers as we see today. Um, so, you know, went to the traditional revolution, um, half acre, um, you know, some of the two brothers, you know, some of the first uh, breweries that were, um, you know, open and around in 2010. And, and then it just grew from there. So you became executive director in 2016. And uh, we'll get to kind of the, the challenges you've had to deal with during the pandemic. But, you know, before that, you know, what has been some of the biggest challenges you guys have, you know, I don't want to say overcame, but you know, whether it was like a bill you got passed or something you guys, you know, got done in order to help the breweries, what has been the biggest accomplishment that you guys have, um, that you personally have accomplished as the executive director? Yeah, I think, um, you know, we've certainly have expanded um, our events um, and have, have, have hosted smaller, more focused events throughout the years um, to encourage um, new consumers, people to explore the variety that craft beer has to offer. Um, we started a conference um, when I came on as the executive director to provide um, you know, ed- additional educational opportunities for our brewers, but, but certainly where I think you know, I've taken um, the most pride is our accomplishments um, uh, whether it's with the legislature or even just regulatory wins. Um, and so particularly probably on the legislation side, we were able to pass a bill in 2018 that provided um, tap rooms with the ability to sell cider. Um, you know, they're restricted at the time, they were restricted to only selling the beer that they manufactured on site. And so we expanded that to include cider and other other beer. Um, so whether it is uh, purchased through a distributor or whether it's a purchase through a self-distributing brewer, um, brewery tap rooms could then put, you know, guest beers um, and cider uh, on their tap handles. Um, we also created a brewery warehouse permit in that legislation so that you could store um, beer off-site so you didn't have to take up space in your brewery if you, mm-hmm. you needed to, if you could put in more equipment, more tanks, um, moved your kegs off-site. Um, and then we also created some additional privileges for one of our licensed categories, a class two brewer, to be able to more easily transfer beer between commonly owned uh, locations. So that was really significant for a number of our breweries. But you know, certainly I think one of the, the single um, most important um, pieces of legislation, and this isn't just in Illinois, but it's across the country, is, is when we were able to pass that craft brewer's license that codified in statute the ability to self-distribute. Um, and I think we've seen that in other states too, that when that self-distribution piece um, 
was permitted at varying levels, um, that is when you really saw a growth in the industry because you had small brewers that could come online and build their brand by interacting directly with consumers or with retailers um, to, to build up that brand, generate awareness, um, be able to tell a story. And then once they grew to a certain size, then hire the distributor um, mm-hmm. and, and move out of uh, move out of distribution and really be able to focus then on their on their brand. So um, it, that, you know, was a significant piece that we've just, you know, have tried to then um, not tweak, of course, but, you know, make, make changes to and make revisions to um, as the industry continues to grow and as consumer preferences change, um, we continue to want to adapt and, um, you know, ensure that brewers have, have ample opportunity to grow their business. Yeah, that's one thing they're still fighting for here in Kentucky is self-distribution, especially right now, because it's just killing breweries and just businesses here. So I know they've really ramped that effort up in the past um, couple of weeks. So obviously you have been an executive director during the pandemic, um, which, you know, you probably never wanted to sign up for. (laughs) So, and then, so obviously, and then the guild lost probably a lot of money um, through funding, through events and, um, you know, any other fundraisers you all do throughout the year. What things did you guys do to supplement your funding that you lost um, through in-person COVID events? Did you do online events? Did you do um, you know, I saw you've done some other things. So talk about some of the things you guys did to supplement the funding. Yeah, we didn't, um, we, we weren't really, um, a big adopter of the virtual events. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, we, we certainly wanted to provide, um, uh, or at least be forefacing with our brewery members and highlight any virtual happy hours or events that they were doing. Um, so when the pandemic initially hit, uh, we created a spreadsheet um, that had all of our brewery members on there, their addresses, and then what they were offering, if it was you know, to-go, delivery, pickup, um, if they had a virtual tip jar for their employees, um, if there was merchandise that they were selling. And so we kind of put that all in one spot for consumers to go online and look at and just be able to click directly on a link to a brewery that they want to support or be able to order delivery from. Because initially, um, you know, breweries were in Illinois were unable to deliver to a residence, um, to, to a customer's home. Um, once COVID hit, through our lobbying efforts with the governor's office and our regulatory agency, the Illinois Liquor Control Commission, um, we were in, we were able to get breweries added to um, the list of, uh, of of establishments that were able to deliver, um, and so that was a significant piece. So we wanted to make sure we were highlighting brewers that were taking advantage of that. Um, and then you know we we pivoted. Um, we thought um, uh, or c- created a new event, um, Christmas in July, twenty four days of Illinois beer. And so um, craft beer fans purchased a case of twenty four random Illinois beers. And the goal was to you know each night of those twenty four days um, was mm-hmm. to have a brewery do a happy hour, do something, whether it was through Zoom or Facebook, Instagram. Um, you know a lot of our brewers, uh, <laughs> you know forgot or didn't do that. And, um, and so I think, you know, when it comes to virtual events, you know, you have to be specific and targeted Mm -hmm. in, in that goal. And so, um, whether it's, you know, one day, one time, or again, you know, just supporting your brewery members that are hosting those and trying to draw attention, um, to those events. Um, but Christmas in July was, was really successful. Um, and then we were able then to, 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 to make it through November. 
where we historically have hosted our festival of wooden barrel aged beer. And, and so we did it virtually this year. We scaled back on um, the number of judges that we had to, to ensure that we were following all of the current COVID guidelines here in Illinois. Um, so, it, you know, instead of the over a hundred judges that we typically have. We had 25 um, and we spread out judging over the course of two days um, for the competition. And then we created um, to go six packs. And so the brewers that did participate in, in the competition uh, they sent extra beer that we, again, uh, sorted um, randomly into these six packs that customers came and picked up over the course of, of two days, um, two to three days. So, um, and then we did our, we did the ceremony live. So people had a chance to virtually tune in for that, to, to share what breweries won um, or took home medals in our categories. And, you know, now we're evaluating then what's next. Um, we'll be announcing a new event um, here in a couple of days that will go on sale next week um, that we hope craft beer fans will be excited about. Um, but, you know, it's, we've tried to be, I guess I should say that we've tried to be intentional about um, where our resources and, and time are being used. Um, you know, I was not interested in hosting, you know, 15 events that each raised, you know, four or $5,000. I wanted, you know, spend our time doing a couple of events. Well, um, that would bring in the revenue we needed to, to get through that year. Um, and then up until the point where we would need to hold our next event this year. Um, but to your point, uh, you know, it, it is challenging. Um, we don't have the resources to do some of the other things that um, we would like to be doing. Um, and, you know, that, that all plays a role then in the priorities that we set forward for the year. Kind of going back to something you mentioned early on, you, you, you know, breweries were started to ship beers. Um, is that inside the state of Illinois or, or are they allowed to ship beers as well outside the state to other states? So they're not allowed to do ship. They're not allowed to ship beer. Um, via you said delivery. I'm sorry. Correct. Yeah, it's just delivery, um, and uh, and that will um, that will expire once the ILCC, the Liquor Control Commission, does rescind those guidelines. Um, so breweries would would then be unable to deliver direct to a consumer's home. Um, we are hopeful um, with legislative efforts uh, this year that we will be able to make that permanent. Um, but that's that's to be determined. Um, but currently in Illinois, um, only wineries, in-state or out-of-state wineries, are able to ship to Illinois residents. That does not extend to uh, breweries or distilleries. And then that also means, so I know you some some of their parts of your state are on the border. They would not be allowed to deliver to other states, or could they if they wanted to? Or is it just inside the state of Illinois? So right now it's just inside the state of okay. Illinois. Um, that would... That would depend on the laws in our border states. Mm -hmm. um, so if um, a brewery that's, you know, near St. Louis area, Metro East area, um, wanted to, to drive into Missouri to deliver to a resident there, I'm sure that they probably have some type of um, out-of-state license. And then depending on what the state is permitting right now um, with COVID mitigation and, and various measures, um, maybe that they're allowing that. Um, but this was strictly just for Illinois. Um, what that means though, too, is, you know, if you had a Missouri brewery that would, that had the appropriate state license, um, to do business in the state, they could then utilize delivery. Um, but that, you know, again, will expire, um, 
when, whenever the ILCC rescinds those guidelines, which we don't have a sense yet of when mm-hmm. that will be. Um, I'm hopeful that this will remain um, at least until the state moves until phase five of our Restore Illinois plan that the governor has, um, uh, you know, that the governor's office released last year, um, you know, which likely wouldn't be until the summertime. Um, but again, that's all to be determined with cases and vaccine distribution and what that looks like. And then you talked about your festival of the wood and barrel aged beers, which is FOBAB. Um, how far in advance, how far in advance do you guys start planning that? And then how far were you into the planning of this year's where you realized, you know, this can't be an in-person thing. We have to start, you know, planning for this to be virtual and, um, and then changing all those plans. So we don't start really planning for FOBAB until June um, in November. So last year, you know, our actual thought was we, we would have a brief period of, um, you know, of cancellations, but that by November, maybe we'd be able to gather (laughs) in person. Right. I mean, it's so interesting looking back on that now, how silly that was (laughs) in like April and May when we just didn't, know enough about the Mm -hmm. virus and what the impacts would be you know we're maybe it was more April you know thinking well by by November this will all be over um and and then of course very quickly realizing that that wasn't going to be the case um so so this year you know we're planning on doing I think you know a component a component um, or, or an event that would include both components, a, an in-person um, and a to-go. Um, so less people um, in person and and it gives, of course, craft beer fans the option if they still might not feel safe returning um, indoors to an event to um, have an opportunity to still participate by buying beer to go. But we'll see. Yeah. It is funny to go back and think like, oh, well, we were totally going to have, I had a concert in August and I was like, oh, we'll be able to go to that. And and then, and then I, we just, it was, then he pushed back it a year to this August. And now we just got an email today that it's in January. So now I have to wait a whole another year. So right. also, also one of the things that you guys, I think started was the Passport at Home program. Um, you started that in May. Talk about that idea and where that came from. Yeah, historically, um, you know, we've had what was Chicago Craft Beer Week for probably, you know, five, six, seven years, shifted a couple of years ago to Illinois Craft Beer Week to be more inclusive of all mm-hmm. of our, our uh, breweries across the state. Um, and we created this this physical passport program. Um I mean, really cool. Looks just like a passport. Mm-hmm. And you know, we probably, you know, we got up to the vast majority of our brewers that would participate in it. And, and so a consumer would um, take their passport into a participating brewery, buy a beer, and then they would get a stamp. Um, if they collected 40 stamps from 40 different breweries, um, they would tear out an authorization form because a lot of them wanted to keep the physical passport. Mm-hmm. So they tear out a form and send it in the mail to us. And you know, one year we we did some prizes or some giveaways. Um, the last couple of years, we um, offered a one year complimentary um, membership to our craft beer enthusiast program. Um, so when we had when we knew we were going to have to cancel our um, our you know event that typically kicks off craft beer week, beer under glass at the Garfield Park Conservatory, we knew we were going to have to move that. Um, you know, we were under a stay at home order. 
And we were just trying to think how we encourage consumers to still go out and, and buy for delivery, buy for pickup or carry out or, or order for delivery um, and encourage them to continue making those purchases. So we created the Passport at Home program where you, know, you would print out a very small frame and then you would put that um, in the shot with your brewery, your beer purchase from a local brewery. And then each week we would randomly select one person that had posted and they received a $25 gift card to a brewery of their choice. Um, and so that was really a fun way to not only have engagement and to see what beers people are buying and, and, and how, you know, they supported local. And then, you know, we really got a lot of positive feedback from our brewers too, that appreciated that promotion. So that ran over the course of, of four weeks. Um, we're evaluating right now whether it makes sense to do something printed again. Um, I would predict, though, that you know we'll probably keep a more um, virtual program, or at least do something that provides an opportunity for people again that want to stay home and in order to go, or people that you know want to go back. I mean, because in May. Um, you know, the weather will be nicer. People will be sitting outside. Um, we will be further along, hopefully much further along in vaccine distribution. Um, so we might feel somewhat of return to normalcy. Um, so again, offering though consumers, craft beer fans, a chance to participate in, in any way they'd like. So previously you just had like a, a normal brewery passport program where people get stamps and then, and so you just kind of transitioned to it, uh, basically a at-home version of it. Yep, Absolutely with contests. That's such a great idea. I, you know, I was, like I said, when I was doing research to talk to you, I was looking through all your social media and I saw that and just a good way to get people, you know, engaged and buying beer, supporting breweries, and also um, taking pictures and showing other people what they're drinking. Definitely. So I will note that, um, you know, we have a team of contractors that we work with and I really appreciated and leaned heavily on, on some of them last year. And, and we started having, you know, pretty regular kind of planning calls, strategy calls. So it was, you know, myself, our, the Gills associate director, our PR team, and then our design team. And, you know, we would spend an hour, hour and a half, um, and we would you know, throw out ideas, brainstorm. And then once we had an idea, we, we work through the development um, and execution of that idea. And so, you know, having a group that was, was committed to, to that effort and committed, committed to being creative and finding ways to support our brewers, um, really, really helped um, in terms of the creativity and, and what we're able to produce. So um, I'm I'm thankful for that team. Um, it's not a one person job. And with brewers, you know, truly having to be occupied, you know, making sure that their businesses can remain open, um, not wanting to, you know, require or, or to, you know, ask more time of our board members. Um, that's where that team, you know, really helped play a, crit a critical role in all these um, ideas as well. And then uh, for the, you know, COVID restrictions and guidelines of your state, is it, is it, is the restrictions and guidelines or, you know, whatever they're telling you to do at like 50% capacity, is that, is that come down from the governor and it's statewide or is it by county by county or city by city? What, where's, what, what is it for Illinois? So in Illinois, our region, our state is broken up into 11 regions, um, and those are pre-existing regions that were established by our Illinois Department of Public Health. Um, and so each region has to meet a 
you know, three or several metrics in order to allow for various types of, um, of, of reopenings or mitigation. So right now, I think almost the entire state outside of one region um, is in our phase four of the Restore Illinois program. Um, cities though, or regions, or I should say cities can enforce um, stricter measures. Um, the only city that I've seen do that though is Chicago. And so um, in phase four, there is actually not, um, there's not a restriction on capacity inside um, for bars, restaurants, or breweries, as long as tables are spaced six feet apart and groups are kept to no more than 10 people. In the city of Chicago though, and, and, and then Cook County, because they have decided to at least recommend or adopt um, the guidelines that the city of Chicago has. And so that continues to restrict capacity indoors at 25% or 25 people. Um, and parties of six or less. So they definitely have stricter requirements. Um, but e even when the state was under a lockdown or at least indoor dining was restricted um, per um, the, the governor and IDPH, unfortunately you had several cities that told their bars and restaurants that they could remain open. Um, so there was definitely, you know, that, that caused um, you know, a, a lot of contention because you had some restaurant, brewery, bar owners that were following the orders to stay closed inside, uh, but particularly in the suburbs um, where mayors were telling their establishments that they could be open, um, they were competing then with bars and restaurants next door, across the street, wherever, that, that were seating people indoors. And in the wintertime in Chicago, <laughs> that makes a big difference because no one really wants to sit outside in, in you know, 11 degree weather for an hour to drink a beer um, or to eat a meal. So um, that proved challenging. Um, but again, with, with, with our cases now coming down in Illinois um, and not seeing the holiday surge that um, public health officials were concerned about, um, you know, we have been moving that into to more gradual um, reopenings and, um, and, and businesses being able to uh, have more people inside, et cetera. So, you know, the governor has been, been very clear that, you know, we could, you know, see a, a retraction or we can move back phases, um, which we did last October when our cases started to go up and, and in November, um, there could be some changes to what the measure, what the mitigations are. So, you know, we continue to, to follow closely um, with IDPH and work closely with other state agencies in the governor's office to make sure at least that we're disseminating that information to our brewery members. So, you know, we hope they comply. So you mentioned that each region kind of has its own um, guidelines they set out for their the parts of the state. How did you have to, you know, manage or talk to the breweries in those regions who, you know, if you're telling one region, okay, guys, this is what you guys have to do, but then you have to tell a different set of breweries in a different region, hey, this is what you have to do. What was what was the communication like that that you had to work with? Yeah, and 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 so you know, each region actually does have to meet the same metrics. Um, it just that you know, some regions are seeing you know higher case count, positive cases, or higher hospitalizations or ICU um, usage, um, and so you know initially you're you're absolutely right. It was you know trying to keep up to date and emailing <laughs> the you know everyone when a region would move from um, you know 
tier one to tier two or tier three to phase four of phase four or, <laughs> or no tiers at all. And, and, and I will be honest, um, this year, <laughs> I just stopped doing it because I, you know, I was like, they, we have a, you know, IDPH's website is updated every day with where the regions are with their mm-hmm. cases. So I just direct at this point members, you know, keep checking that page, um, you know, make sure you're following your county, your local county health department's um, uh, mitigation efforts. Um, and we'll, you know, we've provided a lot right. more information on, on the vaccine distribution now that manufacturers, you know, are eligible in phase 1B and what that means for breweries, um, you know, as, as establishments are able to reopen, ensuring that um, brewery tap rooms that didn't serve food could still be open as long as they menus from nearby restaurants to deliver. Um, so we've worked more broadly on some of those issues, but as, as, yeah, as far as specific regions and what tiers or phases they're in at this point, I'm just asking members to stay up to date with the IDP website. You're like, I'm done sending any more emails because, you know, I try to, you know, I don't want to take up any more space in their inbox. So I'm sending information target information that I believe will be helpful for them. Um, you know, I'm not, you know, I'm not going to put in press releases, you know, that have to do with schools reopening or, you know, convention centers reopening or what, you know, I'm focused on the mitigation measures, um, and the information that's pertinent to our brewery members, um, and making sure that that information then is, is, you know, gets to them and instead of flooding their inbox with, emails like that, you know, not every day. Right. And then kind of transitioning away from, you know, COVID because I mean, I'm exhausted to talk about it, talking about it. Mm-hmm. And I'm hoping, you know, sooner than later, we'll, we'll slowly start to get back to some normalcy, obviously with summer coming, that helps. Um, but I noticed that going through your social media, you guys were very vocal about um, some of the social justice issues that happened this summer. I know being from Chicago, you're very close to the stuff that happened up in Minnesota. So why did you guys think it was important um, to be vocal about your support of you know, the Black Lives Matter movement, and also all the breweries who did the Black is Beautiful beers, because, you know, a lot of the things that guilds do is lobbying, which is politics, which can, you know, rub politicians, you know, a certain way. So why did you guys feel it was important to be vocal in support of those movement, movements? Yeah, um, you know, certainly I think it, it, it right, it starts personally, um, where you, you start to um, become more aware of, you start to learn of, um, you know, these systemic injustices that, that continue to be a part of, of our society, um, our, our policies, um, right? You know, I, I don't think we really, we realize that, you know, up until recently, as in a couple of decades ago, you know, we still have laws that allow for discrimination of certain people groups. Um, and, and that was, you know, last summer, so stark. Um, I, I was thankful that um, I have a board and particularly a board president that um, was, was really moved um, uh, appropriately so, right, by, by the events. And when I asked um, and stated that I wanted to make, you know, a post um, to use our platform, um, as an organization to say, yeah, we will not stand for, um, uh, for these injustices. Um, we want to be part of change, but 
we also recognize that it's not our voice that that should be heard, um, right? It's it's the voices of others um, that have been disenfranchised um, that need to, you know, that should have the platform. Um, and so trying to to, to navigate that. Um, and so working with our PR team to make sure that that uh, message was clearly stated and then really taking a look at how we be, you know, continue to be a part of that change internally. So, you know, we haven't announced this yet, but, you know, we're working on, um, you know, what types of initiatives that we can um, encourage to bring more diversity in the industry because the, the, the challenge is, you know, it's, it's not just a matter of, well, people of color, you know, don't want to get into craft beer um, or don't like craft beer, you know, they, they prefer other types of, of alcohol. It's no, it's, it's, it's that, you know, opening a brewery is, is incredibly capital intensive. Um, and historically people of color have not been able to, to get loans. Um, they don't have access to capital, um, right? They don't come from generations of, of acquired uh, wealth. Um, so they don't have a father or a family member that can make a significant investment into the brewery. Um, and so there, there have been real challenges um, and barriers, I should say, to diversifying this industry. Um, I mean, we've seen it uh, much more in, 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 you know, the Me Too movement, um, in the news about Boulevard Brewing um, that's come out. Um, founders, you know, unfortunately, this industry um, has had its fair share of challenges um, as, as in terms of gender issues um, and discrimination. And, and I'm, you know, the, the lens hasn't been on us yet in that same way, in terms of diversifying with, you know, minorities, um, but it, it could, and, and, and I wouldn't, and it's, and it's reasonable, um, because we haven't done enough. Um, there is a lot more to do. And, and so I was encouraged when I saw that the Brewers Association hired on full-time, um, uh, Dr. J, not as you know a diversity ambassador, but creating a department that is really focused on how we bring more diversity to the industry. Um, so I've reached out to her and um, plan to work with her and with um, another institution here in Chicago, again, on ways that we can bring further diversity, support for the diversity in the industry. Yeah, I actually just reached out to Dr. J to get her on the podcast as well. So, um, and I think that that is a, you know, a great way to kind of end this part of the podcast and it's not a great transition, but at the end of every of my podcasts, I do some fun rapid fire and then two questions. So I just name something, you just pick which one you prefer and what's the first one that comes to your mind. So you're going to ask like beer related. Yes. <laughs> this is like actual beer stuff. We'll get away from kind of the serious stuff. Just as long as you don't ask me what my favorite brewery is. Oh, no, no, no. I don't do that. <laughs> I know it's like picking a favorite child for you. Right, right. Can't do that. All right. So it's six pack of 12 ounce can, cans or four pack of 16 ounce cans. Ooh, uh, let's go six pack of 12 ounce cans. If you're drinking straight from it, a glass bottle or a can? Bottle. Uh, New England or West Coast IPA? Uh, neither. <laughs> oh, no. I, I Are you not an IPA person? I, that's probably, you know, 
if I could have a wild ale, a sour, um, a lager, uh, I mean, like IPAs. You know, you know what? I love when people say they don't like IPAs who work in or work in beer because you don't have to. It's a right. I think I think IPAs are fantastic. They're still the the number one seller of craft beer. So if I had to choose, I'd go West Coast. Okay. But I, I would I'd, I'd put some other categories, some other styles before that. All right, stout or porter? Stout. Um, Gosa or Berliner Weiss? Berliner. Okay. Seltzer cider. Cider. Peanut butter or coffee in your beer? coffee. No one says peanut butter. Come on people. You know, and, and I, I really thought about that. I mean, peanut butter, I love peanut mm-hmm. butter. Um, but you know, I, it's not like they're using real peanut butter. Most I know. Of the time, you know, it's like the powder stuff. Right. No, and that's great. You know, but coffee, coffee. Okay. Oktoberfest or pumpkin beer? Not even, not even a hard choice. Oktoberfest. Okay. Good. Uh, brewery cats or brewery dogs? Not <laughs> neither. Are you not just a dog or cat person? Oh my gosh! I am not. I know. I'm so. <laughs> Fa- uh, favorite beer city outside of Illinois? I'll give you that. I'll let you do that. Oh, it could be international too. Just favorite city you've been to? That's seriously. Inter- it could be any city. You get anywhere. Um, I would have to go. Um. Uh, Belgium, um, and more specifically, maybe Bruges, um, mm-hmm. but exploring, you know, the Trappist beers, um, mm-hmm. going to one of those old breweries. Um, I, there's just, yeah, that was magical. Uh, um, it's on my bucket list. Yeah. yeah. Have to go, have to go. Otherwise, I mean, no one holds a candlestick or a candle to Chicago. I was going to say, I'm sure you would say Chicago. So I was like, let's make her pick somewhere else. <laughs> Yeah, in the U.S., Chicago, but if we're going to go international. I have a wedding in Chicago in June of 2022. So, <laughs> yes, not this summer, the following summer. So that'll be my first time in Chicago, which I'm excited about. Oh, well, please reach out when you're here. Um, <laughs> it's a great time to come. It, it, it can definitely ring quite a bit that month, mm-hmm. uh, but will still be a great time to visit. Hopefully we'll be able to be safely indoors by Absolutely. then. Absolutely. Favorite beer glass style? Oh, um, the stem, stem. Like a tulip? Yeah, tulip glass. Mm-hmm. I have a much sure. behind here. I was going to grab them, but I can't reach. Um, favorite hop variety? Do you oh, have- yeah. I'm not No. Gonna. Okay. <laughs> uh, I, I'll cut that part out. I'm going to be like the one ED that like doesn't, I mean, like I know, I could name probably two a hop. hops. <laughs> That's fun. I love that. What's your go-to beer right now? So right now in my fridge that I've been working through um, is a beer called Mini Matthias from Haymarket Brewery. Um, They have a brew pub here in the city and a production brewery in Michigan. Mm -hmm. And they, the the first beer um, they made is, it's called Matthias, um, 10%, you know, triple Belgian. Um, I was introduced to it back when I started working with the guild in 2010. Um, and just, I mean, fell in love with it, but like after two, you know, you're right. Ready for a nap. Like, <laughs> you're not going to keep drinking. Um, so 
they knew that or they figured that out. So they created a mini Matthias that has had the ABV, but is still just as delicious. So I have that in my fridge, which is doing the spot or hitting the spot right now. And then I have two questions. If you could go on any beer vacation, obviously no COVID, where would it be and why? Um, it'd probably still be internationally. Mm-hmm. And I would probably go somewhere in Europe. Um, you know, I've been to Oktoberfest and that was incredible. Um, but yeah, I would just go to some obscure or some city in Europe and explore the beer scene there. You know, I've, I've been fortunate enough in this role um, pre-COVID to have traveled to a number of, of cities and have been able to visit a lot of breweries um, and go to different festivals. And, and they're all wonderful. They're all great. But, you know, I, Europe has a special place in my heart and, and I love, you know, the, the breweries that have been around for a couple hundred years that mm-hmm. are still making the same recipes. Um, so I, yeah, I'd probably maybe go back to Belgium, Belgium or maybe explore the brewery scene in the UK. And then who would you most love to have a beer with? If you could walk to your, the local, you know, the brewery closest to you and have a beer with somebody at the bar normally, who would it be? In the brewery industry, brewing industry? No, 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 anybody. Wow. You know, I really should have, I should be prepared for that question. (laughs) Like just in life in general. Um, Never know who who you could call. Um, I, I would probably at this point in my life, um, would probably enjoy having a beer with Bernie Sanders. Oh, okay. I thought you were going VP. I thought you were going to say her, but that, yeah. Oh, you know, I actually, um, look, I would have voted for, um, for Kamala as president if she had still been on the ballot. Um, mm-hmm. uh, tr- truly. Um, but I, yeah, I, I, but philosophically I'm, you know, I really admire and respect, um, you know, the fact that Bernie Sanders has been Bernie Sanders for like eternity. And, um, I think he's internet famous right now, you know? Yeah. I I just think he would be really interesting to have a beer with. And I would love just to pick his brain and ask questions and like learn about his story. Yeah. I, yeah. I mean, I think he would be fun too before, you know, everything that happened a couple of weeks ago where he went viral and became a meme. And now it would just be to hear him talk about what his life has been since that all happened would be really interesting, especially right now. Right. I mean, uh, you know, he, he, yeah, a meme is created and he uses all of the money to donate mm-hmm. to nonprofits or to, to organizations. I mean, yeah. Yeah. It's a good sure. dude. Well, Danielle, Thank you so much for being on the podcast with me. I appreciate it. Um, I hope you have a great rest of your Wednesday and uh, good luck with everything. And hopefully this all ends sooner than later so we can get back to some normalcy. Definitely. I really appreciate the opportunity um, to chat with you. Thanks for your questions and look forward to hosting you in June of 2022. Hopefully I'll be up there before, but as of right now, I know I'll be there in June of 2022. Whenever you can, just make sure it's summertime um, the rest of the year. Yeah, I'm, I'm, you're taking big chances. I'm not a cold weather person, so you yeah. won't ever catch me in the dead of winter. Perfect, perfect. <laughs>